Welcome to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali, Donovan Bennett with you. Marchese is out today. He will be back on Monday as usual, but I am filling in. A uh, going deep reunion of sorts, Donovan. Maybe a That's reunion. Right. Like a, is, is, is reunion too strong a word? I basically see and talk to you basically every day. But uh, either way, I am here with you once again. No, not a, not a too strong a word. Feel free to listen, favorite, share, and subscribe. Not just the check down, but going deep if you like this conversation, which I'm sure you will. Happy to have you back. Marchese, he is on a scheduled rest day. Yes. So load management. Exactly. So we're, we're not the Cleveland Browns where we're depending on the day or the minute or the hour, we change what the injury designation is for a given player. Although it seems to be something that is going around the NFL where it was essentially reported that Jalen Ramsey was going to be in the lineup this, this week, his first week back uh, from you know, preseason knee injury. And he tweeted saying that he's not sure if he's going to be back uh, this week. It was funny to see that because multiple insiders tweeted that he was being activated. And I think he quote tweeted quote X, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yes, quote X. But he, uh, he put out there on social that I think even he was quote tweeting Adam Schefter of all people to say, yeah, this is news to me. Like people just want to be first. It's, it's pretty funny. I always think it's really funny whenever athletes do that because they just clearly have, at least some of them do, seem to almost revel in having a, like a combative relationship with certain insiders. Yeah, they have their own platform. They, in many instances, have their own media companies, so they want to own the story. I do say, though, having worked, it's not at all the same, but in a somewhat similar industry where what is happening with our careers mm-hmm with our workplace is news and is being reported, it does feel somewhat invasive when you see something that impacts you for the first time on Twitter or on social media, or you get a a text or a DM from a reporter saying, Hey, can you comment on this? So the fact that that is their everyday lived existence would be odd. Yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit of a, it is a bizarre place to live permanently uh it kind of brings to mind some of the other like some of even non-athletes deal with this of course as well but uh, there was like recent conversation about you know like i don't taylor swift's always in the nfl news about like taylor swift and how she can't like live a a moment's peace without you know never being alone and always having security around her and so on i just i find those kinds of things fascinating mainly because i will never know (laughs) what that is like and so maybe not to your to your degree but i i uh, i will never know that do we think this is a one gambling to fantasy related issue because I don't remember when well, I don't remember players being injured nearly as much as they are now. And maybe that's just because the field is the same and the yardsticks are the same distance, but the players are bigger, stronger and faster. But I don't remember this being a conversation when we were growing up consuming football. Now, every day I'm getting an update saying like so-and-so has moved from doubtful to questionable, mm. they're tracking in the right direction. And we know that Thursday is the work week day in terms of practice. And you have to be a full participant on Thursday for have any hopes to play by Saturday or Sunday. I imagine that it's because we consume the sport differently that this is a thing because I just never remember hearing well, Emmett Smith has a separated shoulder and he's gone from doubtful to questionable. Right, like right. I, it was just, I showed up on Sunday 
they told me Emmett Smith was playing with a separated shoulder, and that was the end of the conversation. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely tied to the gambling aspect of things, and maybe to a lesser degree, fantasy sports. But I think mo- mostly gambling, which is why the Bijan Robinson thing annoyed so many people. And I know you and Marquise talked about it, but the, he he it was kind of this in the same vein of he shows up. They know no one disclosed any information about whether or not he was interest, injured, and then he plays like a couple of decoy snaps essentially at the beginning of the game, and then didn't play again. And Arthur Smith clearly did not see any issue with that. And I, and I guess there is no like inherent problem with it, other than that it messes up lines. And whether or not you think that's a problem, I think that's a whole other conversation as well. But it kind of kind of in the same vein is I find interest is what I find interesting about the Deshaun Watson injury conversation with the Browns, which is you, which is what you brought up to start the show. You know, it's it, it, clearly some players, whether it may Jalen Ramsey clearly is, could be a part of this as well, but clearly some players are just not on the same page as not, not just the media, but like maybe other parts of their own team, for example, like for Deshaun Watson's case, you know, like there, Greg Rosenthal from around the NFL had put together this timeline, which I thought was really interested. So uh, Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski said Deshaun Watson was medically cleared and then he misses three weeks and then <laughs> and then you find the, the Dorian Thompson Robinson I think is the, the backup's name mm-hmm. uh, he finds out he's starting for Watson the morning of that game and then this past Sunday Watson would start in Seattle and then Wednesday Watson was out so it just I, there there's clearly some kind of disconnect there and I I, I don't know where where like where it, it's it's tied to the gambling forum of this conversation I don't it probably isn't in his case specifically but it's a it's a bizarre situation to live in when your starting quarterback is is not in the in the place he should be in the aspect of that timeline that is really gray is that after the most recent game Stefanski gave an explanation saying ultimately that he was protecting his franchise quarterback, that he cleared the concussion protocol. But yet he already knew that he was going to start in this week's game, which we now know is not going to be the case because he then was later designated, as you mentioned, day to day. And then now we don't care how many days he's not playing. And, And then prior to that, the last time Stefanski spoke in front of a live microphone talking about the health of his player, he claimed that the player decided yeah. that he was not able to go, that he, to your point, was medically cleared. And then his GM, the first time he had an opportunity to speak in front of a live microphone, said that everybody was on the same page and that he wasn't able to play from a health standpoint. So clearly everyone wasn't on the same page. Or they were, and they're lying. And And if they are lying, being deceitful, misremembering, whatever you want to call it, does that then bring into the question of, well, hey, Kevin Stefanski, part of this gambling money is paying your salary, so you have a duty to expose whatever you believe to be the truth at that point. Well, I I spoke on the Bijan Robinson scenario as did Marchese if you missed that conversation just go back in your podcast feed and listen to it but you haven't had a chance to weigh in where do you say because Arthur Smith and others tried to pour water on it after the fact saying it was a non-story it was much uh, ado about nothing but people were legit upset and expecting some money back if you know they were gambling on Bijan that day 
I, I mean, I'm not a huge gambler. Like I don't, I don't spend a lot of dollars on, on, uh, on those kinds of things. I like to bet on, uh, like on season long things, like who's going to be the offensive rookie of the year okay. and who's going to be the MVP. And, and you, you placed your money on Puka Nakua clearly. I actually, offensive rookie of the I, year. I did place a couple of dollars on Anthony Richardson, which I've now Oof. gone all the, all the way down Set the train. On fire. <laughs> yeah, that's gone. That's gone. Not coming back, unfortunately. But, uh, the Bijan thing, like, because I'm not a gambler, it didn't bother me too, too much. Having said that, if the NFL is going to take very heavy-handed stances on gambling, uh, whether it's the Calvin Ridley situation from a couple of years ago, or and, and the Jameson Williams thing, and you have all these guys saying, "Oh, we were we we placed our bets from non-NFL facilities, and they're not on our teams." Guys being very careful to to tiptoe around all the various language and about what it means to gamble on games, and even whether you're gambling with your buddies at a at a at a bar, for example. Uh, and I know NFL players probably do it differently. Having said that, if the NFL is going to take such a heavy-handed stance, they probably should. Uh, I don't want to be like, yes, they should punish them for for misrepresenting the facts. But we have seen other teams not, you know, mess around with the injury report and and questionable and doubtful and all these things over the years and get fined or get loss loss of draft picks and so on. And again, I'm not saying that's necessarily what needs to happen for Bijan Robinson's situation, but. There probably should be some kind of edict that the league office hands down and says, "Well, if this is if your guy is injured, like you got you got to do something about it. You can't keep it to yourself the morning of the game, or or worse, for if the guy is actually injured, force him to play just so you get around this this issue. Like they, you can't have it both ways. I guess is what I'm saying. You got to do one or the other. And it's all about precedent and coming up with rules that make sense for everybody. Even though these are issues that we don't care about, if we're being honest about every. Buddy. The players that we're talking about, Bijan Robinson, Deshaun Watson, are the most high-profile players on their team. They were drafted in 100% fantasy leagues. If we were talking about the backup three-technique defensive tackle or the nickel corner, we're not talking about it because nobody would really know other than the guy who runs the Duval Time blog dot spot <laughs> is blog or blog spot still a thing? Anyways, I used to have a blog spot. There you go. Uh, the guy who's running Duval Time blog spot, he's the guy who knows that the Jaguars three technique only played on three snaps and right. he was averaging forty five coming into the game. It wouldn't change the line. Nobody has that person drafted in their fantasy. If you had the Jaguars defense, you're not upset because their backup three technique didn't play. So it's not really about being forthright around the health and availability about everybody. It's about doing it for the people that we care about. And the NBA, quite frankly, has not even hid that fact. They're coming up with rules on what you can do with players that are all-stars in primetime games. You want to arrest them for these games that nobody cares about? Or you want to arrest players that nobody cares about? Knock yourself out. But for these group of individuals, these 24 to 50, because I don't even really know how the math works. Do you have to be an all-star the previous year? What yeah. If you were injured and missed the game, did you have to play in the game? If you were like a commissioner's exempt list, who got you in there because of injury? Like, does that all-star count? Like Russell Westbrook, not an all-star. Sure, yeah. But was one in his Hall of Famer. Can we DNPCD him for rest? Ooh, Russell Wilson was a Hall of Famer. That's a that's a whole other can of worms. You don't think so? Oh, I'd say no. I say no. So I, okay, I you know what? I say not a first ballot Hall of Famer. 
He's going to have to take a while. To get uh, but ballots don't count in basketball. You just get in and you don't. It's, it's not as sacred as, let's say, baseball or even uh, football. Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double for a season, was an MVP, and he's not a Hall of Famer? Yeah. So, uh-huh. I, listen, I, I'm not saying you're wrong because they're, in, in football we have, like, this Hall of Fame indicator for, for quarterbacks to go to different sites and see how likely they are right, to make right. the Hall of Fame. And that obviously doesn't watch games. It just looks at stats. And if he continues to compile seasons with the stats he's putting up right now, those websites are going to tell you that Kirk Cousins is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, it's true. Matt Ryan, probably close, too, with the same statistical argument. Matt Stafford. Sure. But Matt Ryan at least won an MVP. Yeah, that's true. Philip Rivers. got to a Super Bowl. Philip Rivers, yes, no question. I don't think anyone's going to vote for Kirk Cousins in the Hall of Fame, but, I mean, his career's not over. I I tweeted this, and this is going from uh, Sports Radio Network check down to the post up or or check the ball in. It doesn't work. (laughs) You know what I mean? If you played three on three. I I asked the question, is James Harden a Hall of Famer? Okay. MVP. Changed the game in some respect. Great statistical career. Has made a boatload of money. Has also made literally every franchise he's been on worse. (laughs) Like when he left, they were worse than when he got there. There were some highs, but it didn't end well. And I don't know if any of those franchises are going to retire his number. Certainly not make a statue. Like maybe the Rockets, but I I doubt it. I doubt it. So can you not be an important player for any of your individual franchises, but be in the hall of fame in the hall of important players. I don't actually know if that's possible. A lot of people are like, you're an idiot. He's a hall of famer, but I, I don't know if he is. I think about this when I watch CFL football right now. Okay. And it applies to NFL football outside of largely quarterbacks. How many people are playing right now? That you think, oh yeah, they're they're a Hall of Fame in the NFL. Yeah, like I, I I think that number is shrinking because I think the longevity of you being an impact player is small. We'll talk about him later in terms of uh, being in the in the in trade talks. Is there a Hall of Famer on the Tennessee Titans right now? Oh man. They have two really good players. Will Levis? No. <laughs> I mean, we've never seen him play, so maybe. <laughs> but they've got two really good players, players that were among the best in the generation that they played. They both might get traded. Sure. And I don't know if either are going to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is a Hall of Famer. I don't. I really don't. It's not a diss against him. And what about Henry? And Derrick Henry is is a terrific player, but I almost feel like the bar, whether this is fair or not, the bar for running backs is higher. It's higher. I mean, like, but, like but, it's. But okay. then, who, is is there one that has played in the last ten years that has met it? Because if it, if it's not Derrick Henry, who is it? I think the, the it, only it's, it's probably not running, Ezekiel yeah, Elliott no, at this point. No, no, maybe Christian McCaffrey. I was going to say CMC. He's the only one. He's he's the only one on pace, I would say. But then again, Derrick Henry was on pace for a long period of time, and then the guy got a metal plate put in his foot, and he'd slow down a little bit because running backs slow down when that happens. But boy, I just I think you know what? Like if like if if Terrell Davis had to wait ages 
to win to get into the Hall of Fame. And he he only like relatively speaking recently got into the Hall of Fame, even though he won his Super Bowls like you know right around the time I was I was like you know five or six years old. I don't know. If there is a running back on who is going to eventually get in the Hall of Fame, who is actively playing today, and that's someone who won two Super Bowls. Yeah, was perennially in the MVP conversation. Now he had a high high, but he didn't have the longevity due to injury. But I think the point is nobody in this era yeah. has the longevity, that's and that's when every team had a three down running back. How many teams now have a three-down running back? Again, I think the two people we're talking about, Henry and McCaffrey, might be it. And McCaffrey has gotten injured quite. I mean, it's only it's only in the last like couple of years he's managed to stay healthy, which is good because he's a dynamic player when he is healthy. But I mean, it's it's the same conversation, and and maybe the longevity thing. This guy too, but same conversation. I've always I've always wondered about with like Matt Forte, for example. Because Matt Forte almost Wait, what? I'm not saying he's you a Hall of Famer. You spent time wondering anything about Matt Forte? Yeah, I just I love watching him. Matt play. Forte existed <laughs> until you just brought him up. But he, and what I was saying is, he he did the same thing that Christian McCaffrey is doing now, and he did not have the career longevity, and he didn't get into the Hall of Fame. Like he was the same guy who was, you know, doing the thousand yard rushing, thousand yard receiving, catching a ton of passes, and so on. In an era where we didn't see that happen for a lot of running backs. We are seeing it happen for more running backs now, and he was not considered a Hall of Famer. And Christian McCaffrey, I, I do think, to be fair, is a more dynamic player than most than most guys, including Matt Forte. And if he's not getting into the Hall of Fame, it's just I, I wonder, like, what does the bar have to be? Like, I, I honestly thought if Saquon Barkley continued on his trajectory from essentially his first two years in the league, maybe he would get there. But that's almost assuredly not happening at this point, unless he unless he goes play for another team, essentially. Look at someone like Alvin Kamara. Sure. And you, if you just pick them up from this generation and place them in a previous generation, is there an appreciable difference from him to, I mean, Marshall Falk was a beast, but you know, Marshall Falk, LaDainian Tomlinson, Thurman Thomas, like they all have similar traits, but I don't think, one, there's an emphasis on the position now mm-hmm. the way there was back then, and there isn't the usage in terms of the amount of carries and the longevity that you get those carries for current day players to make a statistical argument. It must be maddening if you are a current day player and physically you are as good, if not better than your predecessors, but you don't have the opportunity to have that legacy. Does that bother you as a former running back? Does it bother me? Yeah. I know. I know. I, I know you, you, your playing career also finished a number of years ago, but like, does that bother you? <laughs> a number of years ago is very generous, like a decade ago. I don't want to date you. <laughs> um, does it bother me? So I guess the farther removed I get from the game, the less I, and I'm going to be kicked out of the running back group chat for saying this. <laughs> okay. The less I view the game through the eyes of a running back and the more I view the game through the eyes of a quarterback, coach, okay. or general manager. Because ultimately those are people who drive the needle when you're doing what we are doing and and having broad stroke conversations about the league. Having said that, I don't know if it makes me sad, but it makes me aware of the fact that if I was coming up now, I probably wouldn't have been a running back. I wouldn't have, you know, asked for the number 22 or 31 or 30, whatever your favorite running back was at the time I think the way the game has changed probably would have 
tried to be a slot back, mm. maybe a cover corner, maybe, you know, the poster I have in my wall is not, you know, at the time worked on Emmett Smith, Marshall Falk. It is Sauce Gardner, Tyreek Hill. Uh, maybe, you know, it, it changes your perception, or maybe it's Colin Murray or Bryce Young. Maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to have the same amount of swag and the ability to run, but I'm going to do it from the pocket as a quarterback. I, I think it has eroded over time the level of respect and adulation for the running back position. I think it's somewhat short-sighted. I hope it ends up being cyclical. I think, like all things, it's going to come back around. But the sad part is I get it. Because if I was running a team, you know where I would not be putting a lot of resources is? In that. It would be the running back position. It, it is a trip, though. If you are in high school, mm-hmm. star running back, you're the man. Still in college. Not to the same degree as QB, but let's look at NIL numbers. Running backs are still doing well. Yeah. And as soon as you become a pro, it's like, yeah, we don't need you anymore. Every other scenario, you are the guy. And then you're just surplus for requirements as a pro. Yeah, it's true. I mean, look look at the careers, even of this season, for someone like, I don't know, like, Tank Bigsby, for example, right? Like he was, he was, he was the man in college, like for for a lot for for a huge chunk of time. And now we like essentially don't talk about him at all, at all. And again, that's a, that, like you say, it's a part of the the way the position has evolved. But that's that's something that fascinates me. Like when you when you think when you talk about what position do kids want to play if they're playing in high school, for example, it probably is wide receiver. I'm guessing because it's it feels like wide receivers. Get to, get to use all the athletic talents, but get all the glory, too, because it's a passing league, and they're going to be the, the guys, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease and so on, and they're the people getting all the accolades. Like if you're not a quarterback, the next sexiest position has got to be wide receiver. Well, in high school, generally, you put your best athlete at running back right, or, or quarterback, one of the two, because they're touching the ball all the time, and your receiver, like, yeah, you're good, but we don't know if we have a quarterback that's going to be able to get it to you consistently. So you want to get those best athletes the ball, and then at, over time, you know, sometimes they leave position. But, like, look at someone like Micah Parsons. In another generation, Micah Parsons is a running back, yeah. and his name is Adrian Peterson. You take that immense of sheer power and speed, and you say, well, we're going to give you the ball 35 times. Now, because everything is around passing, stopping the passer, helping the passer, or getting after the passer – you say, Micah Parsons, actually, we're not even going to make you a running back or a linebacker and have you deal with running backs. We're going to make you a D-end, essentially, even though you're technically a linebacker. You're going to rush the passer 60 times a game because that's where the value is for your skill set. Well, it's the same kind of conversation that you've had about, like, T.J. Watt, for example. And you look at T.J. Watt's, the difference in his playing style, even maybe even just in his in his physical size versus his own brother, J.J. Watt, right. who was who was like a, an absolute, I'm convinced J.J. Watt was created in a laboratory, but the guy was a massive human being. But in other lives, maybe neither of them were pass rushers. Well, if you allowed Saquon Barkley to go back in time with those quads, those legs, and that speed, and say, pick your position. And oh, by the way, before you make your... Final answer, here's the average salary 
of starters in the NFL. Do you think he's going to Penn State and being a running back? Yeah, no, chance. I don't think so. No, I think he's probably going to be an outside linebacker. He might be rushing on the opposite end of Micah Parsons. I was also, say, I, I thought he'd State. be like a lumberjack or something. Well, yeah, that that too. But I think like he could he could be a receiver if he wanted to. Now someone's like, oh man, his body type, whatever. I think he would he would train differently. And his body type would change, but I think he would take that raw ability and apply it somewhere else. Maybe he's a free safety. Maybe he's just running down and you know, picking the ball and going the other way with it. Who knows? But I know for certain he would not be playing running back if, if he was smart. You mentioned Kyler Murray earlier, uh, and when you were you were talking about the 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 changes in 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 players over the years, and certainly where when you were comparing yourself to some of the other players of of. This era, uh, I will say, I've never seen you run, Donovan, but uh, I bet you run prettier than Kyler Murray. Like a like a toddler. Toddler yeah. with his dad's cell phone, <laughs> yes, essentially. Yes. Um, I, you know what? I was an ugly runner. I'm not going to lie to you. Okay. not going to lie to you. I've never actually seen any of your highlights you know, from, uh, There's from a, probably a reason for that. My, my mom would say uh, when I ran that... <laughs> I looked like my upper body and my lower body were having an argument. <laughs> your, your mom said this she to certainly, you. Oh, my mom was ruthless when it came to, to football. She, oh, man, you know, hilarious. now we're telling Cleo Bennett stories. She, I, so after my playing career, I would go and watch games okay. that, that my brother was playing in. And was he so, also running back? He was also a running okay. back, yeah. So we both were fools, basically. And I didn't really get to watch many of these games because we would always be playing at the same time for the majority of our life. And so I'm going, I'm sitting with her and I, no matter how big the crowd was, I could always hear one voice playing. It was my mom's, but I'm, she's cheering like, go whatever DJ, whatever. And so I'm now hearing her running commentary for the entire game. And she was ruthless. She at one point was like, and and my brother played at Laurier, they're playing York who was not good then still, unfortunately not very good. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to Shoppers. I'm going to Shoppers. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're going to Shoppers. It's the middle of the second quarter. It's like, we don't have any right guard. We need some right guard. What is going on? We need some right guard. And I'm like, mom, like relax. Number one, you're in the parents section. So that right guard's family is somewhere around here. Um, and she'd be like, O-line? More like a no-line? You got no protection? And I'm like, mom, just like slow your roll. So uh, yeah, yeah, she she could be a uh, harsh critic. <laughs> No, I, I think that's great. That's awesome. I my 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 I was never uh, successful enough in uh, any sort of sport to warrant that for my parents. They would just it was almost worse because it, it, we'd have a terrible game when in high school, for example, and they'd be like, "Good job, well done." And like, no, I, I know it wasn't well done. So you know, well, you know I will mean? say though, and, lie to me. and uh, Steve Nash has talked about this in terms of the feedback that he got from his father. The feedback was always about the effort and less so about the execution thing that you can control. So I think your parents were spot on to be like, did you give max effort? And then you can sleep good at night knowing that you put everything into it and the results, they are what they are. Well, uh, while the results were not always great for uh, me in high school, uh, put it this way, Donovan, I was a defensive back, and okay. I, as you can see, shut down, show. Well, you can you can see me. Don't it, throw to his side. <laughs> it it was either it was either I, uh, you you made a great play deflection or you get trucked by the the six foot running back, a seventeen year old six foot running back from uh, Birchmount Park. Look, uh, let's take a, <laughs> let's take a quick break, and when we come back. 
I do want to have a conversation with you about another team's whose effort and execution has been questioned as of late. Uh, Marchese's Ooh. beloved Buffalo Bills. Circle the wagons. Yeah, and hey, look, they they win twenty four eighteen against Tampa Bay Buccaneers in. To start the game, I thought it was going to be a runaway, and to end the game, uh, perhaps less than convincing, despite the win, despite now being, I guess, 5-3. and three. Uh, Let's take the break. When we come back, chat about those Buffalo Bills and take a look around the rest of the NFL as well. You're listening to the Fan Jack Down Show and Donovan on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Sean Donovan here with you until the top of the hour. Continuing our Hall of Fame discussion in the break, Donovan. It was spirited. Austin, uh, our producer extraordinaire, um, board op of the stars, uh, made some riveting points. And that's why I think it's a fascinating conversation because there is no right answer, as I was saying to you guys in the break. If you judge based off of historical comps, well, that means Kirk Cousins and maybe even Derek Carr getting in. Because mm-hmm. they're going to, by the end of their careers, amass the amount of stats that surpass guys like Joe Namath or Troy Aikman. However, if you judge based off their time, they're not close. If you judge Derek Henry based off of his time, he's sure. one of the greatest backs at the time, so he gets in. But again, if you judge him off historical comps, he doesn't, which is why I'm in the murky middle, and I use the same criteria that a belief Supreme Court justice once did when talking about ruling on what is or isn't porn. Okay. And they said, well, you know it when you see it. <laughs> and I feel that Fair. way about a Hall of Famer. You know it when you see it. You can't necessarily use a philosophical comp and apply it to it, but you, you, you kind of know it when you see it. I think that's why, for me, I if it was up to show... Eli Manning would not be a Hall of Famer. Wow. And it's not and it's not because he's he was a bad quarterback, but by the time by the time his career was finished, he had enough counting stats to to equal a lot of these guys like you're talking about like the Bart Stars and the Joe Namath's of the world and so on. Uh and he also had a couple of very very famous excellent playoff runs that ended in toppling some dynastic teams, obviously. Like that's obviously a part of it. But people always make the argument to me that you can't tell the story of the NFL without Eli Manning. Therefore, he should get into the Hall of Fame. You know what? The ball that David Tyree pinned his helmet, that ball is in the Hall of Fame. It's it's in Canton. It's at the it's in the building. The jersey Eli Manning wore for knocking off the undefeated Patriots. That jersey's in the Hall of Fame. But like should should Eli Manning as a player, like did you ever think at any point he was the best quarterback or even a top five quarterback? Probably not, I would say. No, but in cross-examination, Eli Manning's attorneys are going to say, you're making it sound like he's Telfer. He not only beat Brady and the Patriots once, he beat him twice, doing it playing his best football. So... Those are two massive moments where he rose to the occasion. So it's not like it's Joe Flacco or it's, as I said, Trent Dilfer. You can't spell elite without Eli. 
<laughs> I, I don't know if Eli is in because you have to then juxtapose him with players of the time, and then that brings up Philip Rivers, sure, yeah. who has all of the counting stats and some big playoff moments. We've had a big playoff on one leg. But also, uh, does, does that feel right? Does that, does that sound right? Does he feel like he should be among the greatest QBs of all time? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. This era is going to be... Yeah. There's there's some open and shut cases, obviously. Patrick Mahomes could retire sure. tomorrow. Yep. He's in the Hall of Fame. There's going to be a lot of others that by the end of their career, and they're still early, where we look at them and we, we kind of squint and be like, oh, does Ty go to the runner with you? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'll be when when Josh Allen hangs it up and <laughs> when Lamar Jackson hangs it up and he's already won an MVP. You know, when a lot of these guys hang it up eventually, when, and we'll we'll see what the future holds for their contemporaries. You mentioned Patrick Mahomes. Certainly, we know about that already. But Justin Herbert, for example, and and Jalen Hurts. Like when these guys retire, and you're hoping they don't retire for another like 15 years, essentially. But when they all retire, we'll have to see what their careers. And how their careers have unfolded, because like you said, it's kind of an open and shut case with one of them and Patrick Mahomes already. But and and maybe the maybe the MVP for Lamar Jackson will buoy him if he if he just stays healthy and continues to do what he's done for another, even if it's just ten years. Even if the Ravens never win the Super Bowl with Lamar Jackson, if he plays like this for another ten years, the, is that enough in this era to get you into the Hall of Fame? It might be. Well, then you have the Matt Ryan contingent sure. who says, "Hey, he has an MVP." The interesting is we look at all of the current quarterbacks that are in the league right now. And if we said, who's a lock to be in the Hall of Fame? There's two. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes, yeah, who at some point was the best QB on so the no, planet. So it's not a lock for Russell Wilson. <sighs> no. your, your favorite player. No, it's not only is it not a lock, <laughs> it should not happen. But I don't think any other era where we couldn't look and watch and say, oh, we know, like, Hands down, it's four, it's five, it's six. It's just a matter of who gets through the pipeline at the right time, whether it's Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, uh, you know, on and on and on. There's always been so many at the same time. Yeah. Now, essentially, there's just those two and then a bunch of question marks. It's true. It's 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 not an easy conversation uh, to have, but, uh, hey, it's one that you – you can pretty much never be wrong about, which is why I love the Hall of Fame debates because everyone will have their own reasons for why players should or should not get in, why why Big Ben should get in and why Eli should not, or why Matt Ryan should get in and and Philip Rivers should not, or while Matt Stafford will get in and another, you know what I mean? Like those kind of conversations, I find so fascinating. Don't forget Brock Purdy. Oh uh, yes, Brock Purdy, the new Tom Brady, mm-hmm. as I, I was told. Uh, you know, you, we were talking about this. Yesterday, the idea of of what makes a system quarterback, mm. and I, I, I'm not sure if if it's been entirely reported. If Sam Darnold will for sure start, just because I think there's a lot of questionable tags that surround Brock Purdy, concussion issues, and so on. But uh, you know, a lot a lot of people, Donovan, talk about the idea of system quarterbacks and kind of use it like as a as a negative like a to denigrate someone they oh, kind of use it as like a put down right quarterbacks consider it a slur yeah and 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 i think a lot of people have used that to describe brock purdy and you know what in the last couple of weeks the 49ers have lost now two straight games they have not looked particularly impressive now of course that comes with some injuries on offense and defense but at the same time teams overcome injuries and go on to win lots of games. The 49ers are still a good team. But if Sam Darnold is, let's say he does play on Sunday and he is able to go in there 
and produce at a relatively high level in a Cal Shanahan offense. Does that, in your opinion, do away with everything that Brock Purdy has done? Because on one hand, I think probably to a certain extent. On the other hand, Brock Purdy was doing things that not even Jimmy G was doing. And Jimmy, P, Jimmy G is, when healthy, considered to be a decent quarterback at the very least. I think health is the operative word because we've seen Brock Purdy's play slip when the players around him were not healthy. Six of his seven career INTs have come when Debo Samuel was not on the football field. Now, two of his INTs last week came now, we know, after he most likely suffered a concussion. So we have to put that asterisk in there as well because it's the first time in his career he's thrown multiple picks in a game. Sam Darnold is an amazing baseline in terms of is Kyle Shanahan truly the QB whisperer. He's got a 21 and 34 career record as a starter, but he's also someone when he was at USC that teams were legit tanking for. There are many people who believe that the only player playing now who had a better combine performance than Sam Darnold was Patrick Mahomes. That's how good he is at slinging the football. So physically he's there. Now the position clearly isn't just physical because if it was Jay Cutler would be in the hall of fame. There is a mental aspect to it. And the mental aspect that Purdy so far up until recently has aced, but I think system quarterback shouldn't be considered a slur because I believe we are in an era where every quarterback outside of Patrick Mahomes is a system quarterback. Every quarterback is in a scenario that is just add water for them. Here's the easy button. Here are, when you get off the bus, five, 10 easy completions that take your percentage from the high fifties, to low sixties, which historically was good into the high 60s and low 70s. Right. All of the satellite motion, easy wide receiver screens, the orbit motion, wide receiver is uh, coming into the backfield, and you just do a rugby pop pass to them, which counts as a completion, because if they drop it, it counts as an incompletion, even though it's essentially a handoff. The game is so much easier for quarterbacks now, not to mention the fact that They're protected in the pocket more than they ever have been. Their receivers are protected in the middle of the field more than there ever have been. So if Shanahan is able to take Sam Darnold and really not miss a beat, then that shows us that it's less about the player and more about the system. But we know that every player can't thrive in these systems. Ax Mullins or CJ Beathard, right? It, It didn't look exactly the same, but I think the role of head coach and play caller is to create a system that makes sense for your quarterback and change everything else around them. The thing that makes the Niners different is often with a younger quarterback, you got to do rudimentary things. See the Pittsburgh Steelers. Sure. Who have no motion, no imagination. They're often super vanilla because they don't want their quarterback to have too much to consume and make mistakes. The Niners do the exact same thing. They have very basic plays. They have better players, but they also do them for multiple formations. They change the roles and responsibilities because your wide back and Debo Samuel can become a running back and your tight end, uh, George Kittle can become a wide out. And so they're changing who does what, which gives the defense lots to think about and to prepare for, but they're all essentially masquerading 
a very basic and simple premise, which makes the decisions easy for the quarterback. So I think, to answer your question finally, that the QBs in the Niners offense, the QBs in most offenses Mm -hmm. are system quarterbacks. Thus, the onus is on the person running the system. And the differentiator now is the play caller unless the player, which is why I think the Niners aren't actually going to miss a beat with Darnold. And ooh, maybe because he is a better natural thrower of the football, could we see QB controversy if they are able to play well when when Purdy is is down? Well, I think that's a fascinating point you bring up, the, the the difference between play caller and where the responsibility lies between quarterback and play caller. Because there are a couple other of teams around the NFL where I had questions as to how much of it lay on the quarterback and how much of it lay on the offensive coordinator or the head coach, depending on who was calling the plays. But let's say for the sake of this conversation, it's the offensive coordinator. And two guys who I think are are largely considered to be top five quarterbacks today by most people – Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, both of course in the AFC and both, you know, I think a lot of people hope there'd be some kind of clash between these two in the playoffs. Cause it'd be a lot of fun to watch as it usually has been. But Josh Allen, I guess what year number two under uh, Ken Dorsey's offense in Buffalo looked a little sluggish at times and downright bad at other times over the course of this season. And, and I think a large part of the Bills' struggles has to do on defense as well because they've lost a lot of all-pro players. So that's another conversation. But the offense just has not looked quite the same under Ken Dorsey as perhaps it has looked under Brian Dable, who went off and did pretty great things in New York last year. And then uh, for Patrick Mahomes, finally, they win the Super Bowl a second time. And finally, Eric Bieniemy he did not get a head coaching position, even though he probably should. But Eric Bieniemy goes off to Washington to try and help Sam Howell be all that he can be. And in his absence, Matt Nagy comes over to, to uh, from Chicago after getting fired. He comes over to K- Kansas City. And the offense looks, I don't know, like a, a little sluggish. And you look at this past week's set of games. Everyone not named Travis Kelsey in Kansas City. I mean, Rashi Rice looks like a guy who could who could actually be a guy instead of just a guy. But I do kind of wonder how much of it is in both cases for both Ken Dorsey's Buffalo offense and Matt Nagy's KC offense. How much of their play calling is being actually covered up, for example, by the play of tremendous quarterbacks such as Patrick Mahomes and, and Josh Allen. Well, you mentioned Brian Dable. I mean, look at him going to New York and what he's been able to do. For Daniel Jones, who, in relation to what Daniel Jones was before he got there, but even that only goes so far because Daniel Jones is at his best when Saquon Barkley happens to be standing beside him. Yeah, right. They, you need an environment for that level of quarterback to be successful. I, I do think the Kansas City Chiefs can say, oh, you know what, we can have a bunch of pedestrian wide receivers because. Ultimately, Mahomes may have to make completions to 10 or 12 different people, but he's going to make them, and we're going to be okay. So let's invest on our defense and invest in our offensive line. We'll see if Josh Allen is at that level because he took a jump not just when he got table. He took a jump when he got Stephon Diggs. Right. And the Bears were hoping that was going to be the case uh, with you know, their scenario, adding a number one receiver, helping the quarterback, that hasn't been the case uh, thus far. Worked for Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown. That's another great uh, example. 
Austin I, is shaking his head. Titans fan Austin is shaking his head back there. Well, I mean, the, 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 the Titans need to just lose Howie Roseman's phone number because <laughs> whether it's Bayard now, A.J. Brown before, like if you're getting a f- call from a Philadelphia area code, just don't pick up the phone. And two different general managers, John Robinson first, now we're on uh, sure. k The As you mentioned, the Titans, the issue I think now in terms of why we have more system quarterbacks is Will Levis starting for the Titans this week, the second-round pick. Uh, Two years in a row they've drafted a a QB early in the draft. He now becomes the seventh rookie QB to start this year. We're in week eight. So no time ever before have we asked young QBs to play this fast into their careers. Maybe you would hold the clipboard, and by the end of the year, you might get some time. If not, generally, you were an apprentice for your entire first year, like Patrick Mahomes. And so I think that's why, essentially, these scenarios have to be about the system because the quarterback is generally, in most scenarios, relatively young or relatively expendable because we struggle at times Mm -hmm. To keep them healthy. Part of the trade-off of having more running QBs and having more zone read is that they're going to take hits and they're going to miss some time. See Anthony Richardson. I do wonder, uh, he probably, the answer to this question is probably yes, but I do wonder if Patrick Mahomes would be where he is today if if both of these things had not happened. Andy Reid had come over to Kansas City to be his head coach and Alex Smith had been present to help his development. Now, when you look at someone as talented as Patrick Mahomes, I feel like you probably believe that wherever he is, more often than not, talent wins out because it usually does. But I kind of wonder how much those things helped him along. Whereas, to go back to my Josh Allen comparison, there wasn't exactly a lot going on in Buffalo when Josh Josh Allen's earliest memories in Buffalo are him like just yeeting the football against the Texans in that playoff game, just like throwing it to literally no one and looking like he had lost his mind in the middle of a rundown field. And now here he is. Now you view Josh Allen as one of the more elite quarterbacks and you're right. It does coincide in large part with Stefan Diggs arrival from Minnesota. But I, I do kind of wonder if there, there are more factors than simply saying, you know, you got you to offensive coordinators and head coaches have got to stop squishing square pegs into round holes, essentially. Josh Allen threw a cross field 50 50 hospital pass, essentially a Hail Mary to a fullback yeah. in that game. And I thought <laughs> this man has lost his mind. Yeah. It, one of the differences in terms of that assimilation process for those young QBs, and I, I think you're bang on when you talk about the play caller and the current QB being a professional and being a good example in this case, Alex Smith, that maybe a Josh Allen or a Carson Wentz didn't have, and certainly didn't have coming from smaller schools and smaller conferences yeah. is the other aspect I'd throw into the equation is time on task. Patrick Mahomes, not only was someone who was in college for a little bit, he was in an offense where he threw the ball all the time. It wouldn't be, out of the realm of possibility for him to go into a Saturday knowing he's going to throw it 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 times. So his reps working through his craft, reading defenses in a power five conference were so much further along than some of the QBs who like an Anthony Richardson had one good year. got to go to the league. Right. 
And so I think that's the other scenario that even though he sat essentially for a year, he got to the NFL so much more advanced in terms of that timeline task. Where now with many of these QBs, because as soon as, and maybe NIL and that money will change it, but as soon as you're a day one pick, you got to go. Now NFL teams are having to nurture and teach at the position just the fundamentals of the sport and as well, you know, how to read defenses. It does make me wonder about what, what the future for Caleb Williams will be, for example, because wherever Caleb will, whatever, whatever you want, if you want to believe that if he doesn't get drafted to the right team, he'll go back to college. Maybe that's true, but let's just say for the sake of this brief conversation that Caleb Williams goes to whoever takes him number one overall next year, whether it's the bears or the Cardinals or whoever. But I mean, he's another guy who, if you see him throw 65 passes in a game and they win is in college is not that crazy, but there's like, there's no way there is a 0% chance that Caleb Williams is getting drafted and does not play on day one of 2024's NFL season. And it just makes me wonder about, I mean, maybe that's just, that's just where you are now. Bryce Young and CJ Stroud did the same thing. Anthony Richardson, of course, before he got injured, but that's just where you are. Drake may, wherever he gets drafted to will probably be doing the same thing. That's just where we are now. Well, I'm interested in your perspective on this because Emmanuel Acho came out after USC lost, which essentially multiple losses takes them out of the college football playoff race, even though there's still games to be played in the pack. However many numbers they have now pack 12. Uh, he's saying, well, essentially he should just stop playing at this point. And probably not wrong honestly. because his draft yeah. stock is done. But also if you're going to threaten to come back next year, then you, you, you kind of, have to continue to play this yeah, year. So we'll see how the NFL and the sports changing implicates what happens at the college level. Yeah. I think knowing that so many of these guys are set to play as soon as they get drafted probably does impact how they, how they play or if they play at the senior bowl, for example, but uh, I don't think Caleb Williams is playing at the senior bowl. That guy's, that guy's going number one and he's playing on day one of next season. Uh, Donovan, this is a lot of fun. Uh, good luck to your uh, Cowboys this weekend. Uh, good luck to your Patriots tanking so that you get Caleb Williams. I know that, you know what? They already, lo- they already won once so uh, we'll have to see if they take on the dolphins and win good luck to your cowboys again good luck to austin's titans thanks for listening to the fan check down on the sportsnet radio network